Hello everyone, happy Monday and welcome to Pocket Thoughts. On today's show, we will be discussing our biggest weakness, what suggestions we have for motivation when we are feeling stuck at work, whether it be not being able to move up or if you're even at the right spot. Our final question for today is, are you where you thought you would be at this point in your life? Thank you all for listening and let us know what questions you guys have for us for next week's show. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Enjoy the show and have a great week. Hello, everyone. We're here. We're awake. Bobby's awake. Brady's shaking his head. We've got a great episode for you guys today. We're going to start with the most awake guy in the area, Bobby Mason. Oh, with my question? Yeah, we're going to start with your question. Okay. What's up, wonderful audience? All right, guys. I want to talk about our biggest weaknesses. I'm just really curious to know what all of you guys believe your biggest weaknesses are. And I want you to give me an example of how that weakness hurt you. It doesn't necessarily have to have hurt you, but how it affected you professionally. And I'm kind of curious if you actively try to improve and fix that weakness, or you follow the model of continue to improve your strengths and kind of ignore the weakness. So three questions all in one, but I'm just fascinated to see how you guys kind of deal with them. I would say mine is getting comfortable. I think we kind of touched on it last week a little, but I think that really didn't help me when I first started working just because I think I could be in a way different position than I am right now if I would have just gotten out of my comfort zone right away and kind of just stepped up to the plate and asked my supervisors what more I can do to get further in my career instead of now realizing that now two and a half years in. And I think that's me kind of working on it is now I realize it and I'm pushing more towards that and getting out of my comfort zone more. And it's, I can see a lot of changes with that. And I was actually talking to my supervisor about that today, just cause he was just saying, yeah, you know, I have so many meetings with people that are entry level that come in and they expect a huge raise after being there for like six months. And he said, you know, it's just not how it works right now. I mean, you got to put in the work and put in the time. And then you see people quit a month later because they want results right then and there. But that's kind of beside the point. But yeah, it's just stuff like that. And I think I did avoid it when I first started just because I thought I'll just put in my time and I'll get a raise or something or I'll get a promotion. But it's just not how it works. And once I realized that and once you guys pushed me on that more, I think it was just something that I realized I have to keep going on or else I'm just not going to get anywhere. Biggest weakness, we actually uh, sort of touched on this two podcasts ago, and I was excited to bring it up, but as you heard in our most recent podcast, we kind of went down the rabbit hole with what we were talking about, so glad we came back to this finally. My biggest weakness is trust in the, in the workplace. Trust in the fact that when you give someone work and they give it back all done or whatever, completed, the work was done. Just trusting that that information is correct. 
And I find that hard to do. And it creates an extreme amount of inefficiencies during my workday. That's kind of how it hurts me. I'll be redoing things that someone already did that that gave me because I want to make sure that it's right. You know, can you can you quickly touch on what you do at work? So everyone knows if they if this is their first episode, just because I'm curious if it's industry specific and seeing if people can really relate to it. I work in public accounting doing different types of audit, tax, consulting, that kind of work. So when others give you completed work, I have a tough time really just knowing that that information is correct. And I waste a lot of time redoing their calculations, redoing their analysis. And honestly, it I, I don't get as much done during the day as I could. This is a big problem because if I want to continue on the path where I am right now, I have to trust the, those type of people or else I'm not going to be able to be successful in a higher up role, which is more of an oversight role and not deep down in the in the data. So I have been working towards improving as in trying to trust what people give me. And if something goes wrong, you know, you just got to it's got to improvise and be like, yep, just accept it. Yeah, sorry, I messed up. Take responsibility for it and move on. And um, hopefully that person learned a lesson as well through that. To go back to your question, I have been working on trying to improve my weakness. Just to piggyback off of that quick, because you brought up a management role yep. and it brought up a conversation in my mind that I had with one of the executives at Wells Fargo. He basically explained it in this way. He said, I'm super anal and I like to be a perfectionist and I can look at any person's work and find a flaw in it. Every single one. He's like, legitimately, my job is for basically big groups to come to me. He's like, I got like 4,000 people underneath me. Big groups come to me and they present their projects and I could sit there and nitpick every little thing about that project. But after a few years at being in my position, I thought about it and I was like, how much value am I actually bringing by changing an image, changing the way it's formatted, changing this and that, when all it does is deflate the team? Because even though they're small changes, the team basically goes, oh, you know what? The project was okay, but John didn't like this. John didn't like that. So he said, now at this point, I pretty much just see the flaws and just let it be. And just go, if it's not something super huge, that's going to directly impact my work. It's not something I have to deal with. And it's something I have to let go. I just think it's interesting because that doesn't necessarily apply to you right now. But I think about it when you do hit the management role and being able to communicate because I actually think that's a valuable skill as long as you just communicate it in a way that it can become valuable. And John explained that he communicates to all of his teams. He goes, I'm a perfectionist. I could not do the work that you guys are doing if I had to start it from the beginning. So he's like, I need to be able to see your work and then build on top of it. So your work is great. And without you, I could not do my job. Teams have become better at acknowledging or understanding when he does actually point something out. It's just because he needs them to take it to the next level. That's the only way he's capable of doing it within his mind. And it's like really allow, it's allowed him to manage significantly better. So I just thought that was interesting because I could see you kind of doing that same thing someday when managing teams because I could see you being very particular, which is a good thing. That's what makes you good. 
yesterday. I think the example you just gave, Bobby, is like super niche. This is a good point to bring up even for entrepreneurs because I think this concept applies probably to entrepreneurs more than anybody is like they have a baby and then they bring in other people to help them work on it. And then it's tough to relinquish that like I want to see everything go through perfectly. And where is where do you draw the line between I want to oversee everything that everyone does at all times and give them kind of like the power to do those other steps. And that's why I think, Joey, I think yours is, I won't say very common. I think it's very common for people with like perfectionist type qualities, I would say like, cause I don't think you even have to be in management for that to happen. I think even when you're just like leading a project, because then it's like, this is work that's reflecting on me. Like, Oh, Joey's leading this project. Let's say you brought in like two other people to help you. You're not in like a quote unquote, like management position, but like you are still like managing people and I struggle with that a lot too. And for me, what I'm trying to work with is like, where do you draw that line? Because some, what Bobby was saying is right. Like some of the stuff is just going to be okay. And like, you start to realize like people won't even notice those, but cause you're so particular, you notice those like tiny little details and you want to go back and fix them all. But like you could have turned it in like eight hours ago with, I don't know, maybe four, 5% of those errors, quote unquote, that you think are in there. But a lot of people don't like even recognize those. So I'm struggling with that too, because like it, you could sit there and edit a slide deck for an entire day and still think like, oh, I have more to edit. Like I have more, there's this I want to fix before I give it over, which actually plays really good in my weakness. And that would be letting perfect keep me from great. I'm in like the same exact boat that every time I want to push something through, I want to make sure it's the absolute best quality and that there's no errors and that everything's in it is perfect. And that costs me so much time and so much energy that I think is wasted. And I think it's a, I think it's honestly a terrible quality because there's so many things that I could have either started on or worked on, but I don't do it because I just think if it's not perfect, I'm not going to like hand this in as like, like a rough draft or at 80% or 90%. But in all truth, like a lot of the times, like getting that feedback or 80 at 80 or 9% is kind of what's really helpful in the process. So yeah, my, my weakness is. I have noticed it even more since I've been here in the professional world because you're always presenting deliverables and it's, I just spend so much time and energy on trying to make things perfect when a lot of times if you're withholding that, keeping it an extra day or an extra two days, there's a lot of opportunities and other like things missed because of that. So, and I, I, I'm still working on how to deal with that. So I can definitely resonate with that. Just because we're still on this topic, I always wonder how do you find the right balance? I just don't understand because recently, you know, we took on a bunch of interns and I'm going with the approach of I'm only going to correct every two weeks. Like when we have our meetings, I'll correct and like we'll work on it. And obviously if they post something, I'll give like a little bit of feedback or if they do something, a tiny bit of feedback, but none of it's like, take it down, restart, do it again, you know? And I always wonder is it good just having more stuff out there and giving them more of an opportunity to just test and learn, test and learn? And if they're with us for the long haul, it will eventually ultimately help my success because they're going to be learning it quicker and better and feel more included. Or is it going to hurt the reputation because people are going to see crap for a couple of months and just deal with the crap? And that also comes down to like accounting numbers are really important. If you actually go through it and you find errors, even 3% of the time, how can you not go through it? Like what is the rate in which it's okay to allow errors to pass through? So, yeah, I think it's like different on each scenario, right? Because I mean, 
the scenario of looking at some type of presentation or a slide deck, yeah, you can you can edit like the size of a picture or like where a text is placed. Numbers wise, if a formula is off, you got to fix it. It depends what kind of uh, situation you're in. No, but that's that's exactly what I'm wondering though. If you can say with certainty that you're going to find an error in the accounting industry, how as a let's just say you were an upper level manager, how could you ever just say, you know what, we're going to just have to deal with the fact that there's errors. And what I'm getting at is I feel like we put a certain industries in different categories where we say, you know, it's different for accounting or maybe it's different for consulting or it's different for whatever it may be. But then I start to wonder, I know it sounds different, but is it different in the sense like if one of my people don't do a good job following through on a project and that project isn't perfect, even though it doesn't have to do with numbers, it could ultimately still affect my bottom line the same way an equation can affect the bottom line with an accounting. I think if you can see that it's going to have a big effect on you, I think that's something you have to hit on the head right away. If your intern or whoever, me, posts something on social media and you're like, wow, this is, this is not good at all and this could have a big effect on how we're viewed from other people and how we look in general, I think that's when you kind of bring it up and just say, hey, let's work on this or change this around. I think if it has a big effect, I'd hit in the head right away. And I think it comes with experience of knowing what is going to make that big impact and like you said, finding that balance of, is this going to bring my team down more than it's going to benefit this client or something like that? And I, I think there's a lot of different ratios or a lot of different balancing acts you can think about right there. But I don't know, it's I, almost personal preference at that point. And I just wonder because I just feel like there's the whole bunch of different stigmatisms put on different industries. You have to be running at a 99.99% perfection rate in accounting or medicine or whatever. And I get that. I definitely get like medicine, you're going to affect someone's life. Accounting, you're going to affect someone's life. Like whatever it is. But if you just compare it to bottom line, I just wonder if like all industries are equal. You know, obviously if there's a huge equation that's missed, that's going to cost you $100 million, well that... I'm just saying it's the same as a $100 million project in open innovation that someone blows. Yeah, for sure. No, I see what you're saying in, in that, but I don't think it, it, it spreads across all industries. Like I could see like um, some type of consulting work and accounting work, but like bring up medicine. That's Oh yeah, I know. And that's <laughs> why I don't, I, that's why I had to backtrack on that. That, that industry is an outlier, I think. Yes. But I, I, get, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Mine is definitely getting back to people, answering that email right away, listening to that voicemail right away. And I just get so caught up in work that I'm doing. I just don't want to interrupt my life to sit there and have to respond to an email or talk on the phone because I just think, you know what? They're going to figure it out on their own. And then it just keeps stacking and stacking and stacking. I've gotten really good at answering my emails, but the phone calls still... Those voicemails will just stack and wanted to give you guys an example of how it really screwed me hard and how it screwed me hard is there's a company called uh, ship. I don't know if you've heard of it. S H Y P it's basically a new form of shipping packages and they're just, they're brilliant. They just did like a, I don't know, like a $70 million fund or something series a something like that, or maybe it was more, I don't know. I read it in a book, but 
basically they left me a voicemail after I was down there in Silicon Valley and they asked me if I wanted to join their team. So I would have been founder number four. But Bobby, you know, didn't answer his phone and then let the emails, I mean, the voicemails drag out. And then roughly five months later, he read about Chip in a book called Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. And a few weeks after that, he listened to a voicemail from Ship. And this was probably six months, eight months later. Essentially, I probably missed out on one of the bigger opportunities in my life. Or maybe I didn't. But it would have been pretty cool to be a part of that team. And it's just because I'm not willing to always take the time to listen to what people need from me. And it's kind of a fear of mine that maybe I'm not always meant to be a firefighter, you know, because that's essentially my job is to fight fires and constantly be there. Man, do I just hate it. Like, I just hate being there all the time on other people's schedules. I mean, you've gotten better since high school. Oh, yeah. I go months without texting back. So (laughs) there's that. You're slowly getting there. It's because I, I got text messaging on my computer just a couple months ago, so I'm it's easy to switch over. I still can't do that. Texting on your computer? Yeah, that's definitely... I mean, you could put it up there as one of my worst ones, too, is because every time I feel like I'm answering an email or, like, returning a phone call, it's not an hour, but it turns into an hour. Like, it turns into 20 minutes, and then it turns into 30 minutes, and then it's an hour every time you do it. I just, like, when I'm in the zone, I just keep all that stuff away, and that's why I don't have, like, uh, you can, like, I'm pretty sure you can hook up, like, FaceTime to your computer, too, like, FaceTime, texts, whatever, and I just can't, and I watch people do it, and I'm just like, God, that would throw me so off track, but I definitely, definitely am in that. It's way more, I don't know if it's worse or noticeable, but in the professional world, because you're expected to answer those, like, ASAP, I need this turned around in the next hour, and I just have so many days and I feel like I get nothing done because exactly what you're saying. You're just like fighting fires all day instead of building what you want to build. Have you found like a good medium? Because my problem is for me to feel like I'm getting my stuff done. I just like block all that stuff away. I shut my emails and like everybody else is email, like doing emails all day long, like every 10 minutes checking their email every five minutes. And I just like, I can't do that because I don't get any like productive, good work done when I do that. Yeah, I haven't found one, but I know that it's a flaw because some dude chewed me out like freaking crazy two weeks ago. He just sent me the longest message, just ripping me in my lack of communication skills and how like if we're (laughs) ever going to partner, we're ever going to work together, I better flip and figure it out. And I just read that. I was like, so true. But at the same time, in my head, I'm like, well... Guy called me like once a day. I'm not going to make time for him once a day. Maybe he's not worth it. And that's where it's so hard to just. No, I I agree. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is kind of the thought that I've taken off of it. And I don't know if it's true or not. I've pondered on this topic a lot because I'm definitely in the same boat as you. I think people like that communication so much, especially like high people that want like very high touch point. Like I want to call you every day, like twice a day, whatever it is, because people aren't used to the other people getting work done. Like, let's say you have 10 people that are working on a project. Like the reason you're touching base with them once a day, twice a day is because like, I have to make sure they're getting their work done. Like, I don't know if they're going to get their work done when you have it happen where you're just like, I don't need to communicate. I think that happens a lot. Like the frustration or not the frustration, but just like the the people that don't do it is like, you know, you're going to get the work done. You like, you'll know you're going to like follow through with whatever task that is. Like, I don't need to like touch base with you three times the next week on like, where are you at on your task? Where are you at? Like if we said COB Friday, like it's going to be to you end of the day on Friday. Like I'm going to make sure it's done, you know? 
But I think that's a huge problem. I, at least like I've noticed it massively, like in the business world is that Friday at three o'clock rolls around and six out of the 10 people don't have their work done. And it's like, what the hell happened? Like, and I think that's why it's such a big thing for people to say like, oh, we need to touch base every day or we need to touch base at noon and four, like, because they're so used to having to follow up and like, what if you want to say like patch the leaks on people's work. And I think it's like very, very, very prevalent in the professional world. And I don't know, like that might be different, like for entrepreneurship, but I've definitely noticed that I've gotten really lucky, like through my manager is like, I, that was one of the, really the only negative feedback I've gotten since I've been here is like, you don't ask me to do stuff for you. Like, this is what my manager said. He's like, I'm here for you. And you don't ask me to do anything. I'm like, I don't need you to do anything for me. You know, he's like, I just feel like underutilized because everybody else is emailing me like four or five times a day. Like, can I do this? Can I, can I do this? And I'm like, I don't need that. And like, we pretty much came to agreement like two months ago. That was just like, you've gotten all your work done. I don't need to touch base with you every day. Like, as long as you're fine with that, like I'm good with it. So like, but I, I do notice it a lot more in the professional world. So I think it's like people making sure to like cover their ass in a sense. And I, you can speak on what you think on that. Yeah. So I've definitely grown to just like email. And I'm curious to see what Joey and Brandon have to say about this, if it's something that's sustainable or maybe they already do it in their industries. But I almost want to just create a policy within the company, no no phone calls, just email. And the reason being is I feel like every single time I get stuck on a phone call, there's so much rambling and babble and the thoughts haven't actually been really formulated in a way that we can just get to the point and get it over with. And I feel like if I created a policy where it's just like, you email me, it would force them to like rethink what they're calling me about, rethink what question they're asking. And on top of that, they give me some context. The biggest thing with phone calls, I swear, I just get a call and they're like, hey, Bobby, you know what, when we were talking about, you know what we were talking about earlier, I just have some questions on that. No, I don't know what you were, we were talking about earlier. I've had like 10 meetings since then. I don't remember. Just like any good writing, it needs to be a quick little story update, get to the body and the context really succinct and clearly, and then let's close it. But with phone calls, it doesn't happen. I'm curious to hear what Brandon and Joey have to say on this, but I'm in the exact opposite boat of you. And I, really? I can explain, like, I would much rather do phone call over email or message or whatever, but I'd like to hear what Brandon and Joey have to say about this. So for me... For everyone out there, I'm in logistics. So there's a lot of communication that needs to happen as soon as possible with just everything going wrong. So surprisingly, I like email just because, I mean, there are some cases where if it's something like burning hot issue, I'll make the call just to get things going. But most of the time it's, I'm getting basically these messages that keep popping up on my, it's not an email, but it's just something different that we have. Answer back to that. And then we send emails to the receivers or the shippers or whatever warehouse we're talking to. And I've noticed that they will not answer their phone. But if you email them, they'll answer within like two minutes. And I think it's just a convenience for people because they can sit there and think about what they need to actually say. Kind of like what Bobby was saying and have a concise answer rather than sit on the phone and be like, oh, one second, let me go talk to this person. Let me figure this out. So I think for me, at least email is way easier just because you can get that answer right away and you don't have to keep fumbling on the phone or say, I'll call you back in 10 minutes once I have an answer and they can just get back to you when they have all the right information. For me, it's a combination of both and it's very dependent on the type of information that you are either kind of requesting or or they're requesting of you. 
to your point, Bobby, about no context, right? A lot of the times what we like to do when we have a meeting set up, and I know a lot of your calls are a little more sometimes impromptu. Someone might just give you a call, but for us with like client calls and stuff like that, we basically send an outline of talking points of what we're going to discuss. So the client is prepared to, to answer whatever questions we're going to have. So they know what we're going to ask. So they're not blindsided on the phone and, and they're going to be like, well, well, I have to look into that. So it kind of helps us kind of give them expectations and allow them to be prepared over the phone. The other case is things that you know that they're going to have to research or they're going to have to look up. So we're going to have to do some digging in their files. This is where email comes into play and it's it is really handy is just sending like request lists or sending um, open items lists or what you might need from, from them or from a client or something like that. And that's where email comes in handy because on a phone call, if you just, just give them a list of, hey, I need this, I need this, oh, I need this, I need this, just like giving them a list and an email and saying, if you want to talk about it over the phone, give me a call. Otherwise, please provide by end of day, blah, blah, blah. So very dependent on the different type of situation, I guess. But I think both are very, very useful for me. I love the outline before a phone call. I'm going to start making everyone do that. So helpful. I feel like that would solve the whole issue. If, <clears throat> But I, get, I do get so many of those impromptus too. Mm -hmm. which I need to figure out how to get rid of those because ultimately if you, if you call me impromptu and I don't have your phone number, I'm not answering <coughs> like not just because I'm not just not answering because it's a number I haven't seen. I'm not answering because I don't want to be backed up against a wall. Mm -hmm. Like if you call me and you ask me for something and I'm not prepared for it, you ultimately have the upper hand and I'm not ready. So I try to make sure I don't get put in those situations. But man, do I love that outline thing. Such a simple thing too. Brady, what were you gonna say? Do you guys have like Skype for business for yeah. in the office? Okay, yeah, so that's what I figured. But like, we have Skype for business, obviously, I think most medium-sized firms um, and I'll have them, probably even small-sized firms, but I can't tell you how many days I sit back and forth on Skype for business and message for an hour or two hours trying to just like figure shit out when like a three minute phone call would solve the problem. The problem right now is like being on five, six, seven different projects or efforts. You have people that have just like quick questions or you have a quick question that can literally be solved in a minute by somebody, but you can take like eight, 10, 12 emails back and forth to figure it out. I think a lot of times people do like, at least uh, the people that I work with are very good at like setting agendas, setting an outline, like being very succinct. But the problem is like things just get lost in translation quickly. Like literally I had the exact situation today on like one of the main ladies that I'm working with on one of my projects. She was like messaging me through Skype back and forth for like 20 minutes and was asking about this, this document that I sent over to our manager. And she's like, this doesn't serve a purpose, purpose, right? Like it was just kind of like a, it was like a training. It was like an exercise, but it was pulled from a larger document. That's like our master document. So I told her like, yes, that document has no purpose. It's an exercise. I get a message back. Like, 15 minutes later, okay, thanks. I deleted it from the system. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, no. Like, but if we were on the phone, I, it's very easy to just be like, no, this is that. Like, this is how this works. And I just have like so many situations where like people send two messages and then just start doing work based on like whatever they hear back from that. 
And then they'll look back at it at 30 minutes later and they're like, okay, I did this. It's like, no, that's wrong. Like you didn't wait for the next part. So like phone calls could really easily solve that problem. But I think it's, it's like situation dependent too. But after so many emails or so many Skype messages in a certain day, I'm just like so sick of that. I would much rather have like five or eight phone calls that are three minutes long to solve all those problems. But that's just like me personally, based on what I'm doing right now, I would not have said that like four months ago. And I don't know like where the balance is or how to solve that. Cause like the one thing that I, I think the reason that I would push towards phone calls is everybody is extremely good at agendas. So every time there's a phone call, here's like a, B and C on we're hitting, here's who's taking each point. Like there's always like a succinct thing. So it's not just like we have one person that rambles, but other than that, like everything else is very, very to the point. And I think that's one reason that I'm, I'm much more lenient towards like the phone call, getting it all solved than messages back and forth for an hour or two hours or a day or whatever. All right. So we might have discussed this before, but for someone that's two to five years or maybe even more into their job, that feel like they're stuck and can't find the motivation, uh, what do you guys suggest that they do just kind of like, I don't know, to get that motivation to want to go further and not just feel like they're stuck at their desk all day and not going to move up? Well, I mean, I can start. I'm, I'm obviously not in that position, so I can't give uh, good advice on that. But I think this is like very case dependent too. And are, are you saying only for people that feel like they're stuck? like feel like, oh, I'm stuck in this position because the reason I ask that is because I think there are people that are doing their jobs that aren't moving up, aren't really looking to move up. And yeah. I think if that makes you happy, like by all means, go for it. So I mean, that's why I ask if. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of thinking about it that way too because I know there are people that are just like, yeah, I can do the same position for the rest of my life and be fine with it. Exactly. But I guess like, because kind of what I was saying before is I kind of felt like I was in that situation where I was like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do right now. I guess my answer to that would be just kind of reach out to people and put yourself out there and get out of your comfort zone. But I was wondering if you guys had kind of any other different ways. Yeah, well, I mean, specifically towards the people that are that feel stuck in what they're doing, I think it's really the case of like figuring out what it is that you want to do. Like, I think people have a really tough time because they're like, well, I might as well keep doing this because I'm not sure what I want to do. I don't know like where to go next. And I think it's really tough to break through or break out of what that is that you feel stuck on if you don't know where you're going to go next, what you're going to try next. So I think figuring out ultimately what it is that you want to do or where you want to be. And I think we had a really good conversation about this last week for everybody that missed the podcast is like, where do I want to be in five years? Where do I want to be in 10 years? And if you're not doing that on a daily basis, then like, why are you not doing that? And what do you have to do to start doing that? I think that's probably like the easiest step. The problem with it is people get very like complacent or comfortable in like their day to day job, right? Like mm -hmm. that's the reason it's probably easy for you to not reach out is because it's like, well, like I'm not, I don't love what I'm doing and I don't think this is where I want to be in five years, but like I also don't hate it. So like I'm going to stay here to be safe. I know a ton of people that do that right now. Like, oh, my job's like, it's not what I ultimately want to do, but like people have it worse other places, which is true. And I think you have to assess that in some situations, but a lot of the times it's like people just settle with like, oh, well, it's, it's not terrible. So if it's not adequately making me forcibly change my job, then I, I'll be okay here. Like as long as it's a comfortable job and I like what I'm doing, I like what I'm working with, then it's okay. So I think like just recognizing what it is you want to do, where you want to go and what steps you need to take to get there would be my advice. But then again, I have not been there. So maybe someone else can uh, jump on that. Um, I think 
I'm, and I might have misinterpreted the question, but I took it as not that they were like stuck with that job and they didn't want that job. I took it as they were stuck at that level of that job and they were just kind of just sitting there in limbo and not moving, not moving up. So in order to kind of move up and take a step up, um, one big thing would, and one just very, very simple thing is to just speak out and bring it up to someone. So many people, I've seen it in corporate America, just just think that people know what they want and and they don't tell anyone what they actually want. No one knows if you actually want to take on more responsibility or if, you, or if you're comfortable just where you're at. And the only way to really um, let people know is to talk to them. And a lot of people don't do that. So I think um, if, if you're looking, if you think you're stuck in a certain level or position, reach out. Your bosses, your managers, I'm sure they'll be happy to give you more responsibility and kind of see if you're, you're right for an, an, another level of that role. Um, that's, that's kind of where I took that question. That's how it was then. Yeah. I misinterpreted it. It was just a very poorly worded question. <laughs> no, no, no. I probably, I probably did misinterpret it. So that's my fault. Um, I a hundred percent agree with Joey. I think nobody's ever going to be able to read your mind as much as we think that people can. Um, I just to add on Joey, cause I, I love that point. I think when you go to do that, like, it's really important to like, if you want to take on more work, you need to tell somebody or else they're not going to know, or you want to take that next step, that next position, nobody's going to know. But I think also when you go into that meeting, don't go into that meeting flat footed and just say like, oh, I want to take on more work. And when they say like, what kind of work? You're like, oh, I don't know. Or like, what have you done to show that you that you like should be doing this or can do this? Like, oh, I don't know. Like come in with some tangible like evidence or anything that says like, look, I, this is what I've done here. This is the kind of work I'm good at. This is the kind of work I want to take on. And this is what shows that I'm going to be able to do it. Like, I, I think just like having that evidence with you makes it really, you don't force their hand, but you give them a reason to like, you give them a reason to be on your team right away rather than like, oh, I should look into what they're doing right now, how well they're doing it. Like walk in there and show them exactly why you should be. Cause I think it's really easy for them to hand off work to make their life a little bit easier as long as they know that you can handle it. Yeah. And I think that kind of goes along with my point of like, when I was talking to my supervisor today, of people asking for raises and they come in and they're like, I need a raise. I've been here for eight months. And he's like, no, that's what have you done besides just come through and go through the motions. Whereas if you came in and you're like, Hey, I've done this, this, and this working on this, this is why I deserve a raise. Maybe it might work out in your favor. My advice would be just straight up. You're going to die. So if you're sitting there and straight up you're just unhappy with your position, you just need to figure it out. If you're hesitating on going and asking for that promotion, if you're hesitating on asking that girl or guy out, if you're hesitating on posting that thing that you've been thinking about posting, just stop. Stop being a baby and just man up or woman up and just do Thank something you, you want to do. Life is way too short to waste today and tomorrow and the next day and then 30 years and 40 and 50 like brady was saying it's easy be prepared like if you want to try a new job or if you want more responsibility or you want to take on a new role you can go to any manager probably in the country and say here's the deal i'll do my job that i'm currently doing and i'll take on this new role 
for free. And if I do a darn good job, let's figure out how it makes sense for both of us. If you want to mimic someone, get as close to them as possible and work for them for free, do tasks for them for free, so you can learn more about what they do well and what they don't do well, so you can mimic it and grow into that role. If there's a celebrity or social influencer out there, I bet you could join their team for free. They'd be willing to give you that work, but then you just have to prove yourself. But if you're legitimately unhappy, just know that there is no excuse for you to stay in that position. No matter how uneducated you might feel, maybe you don't feel like you have the ability to live up to whatever standards there are within a certain role, you will have no idea until you take that leap and you just do it one time. And you need to really sit down and figure out why it is that you are unhappy and you haven't done something about it. Because you might be unhappy at your job and you might think it's because of your pay or you might think it's because of your role when it's really something else. It might be because you don't have the workload you want. It might be because you're not interacting with people as much as you should be interacting with them. It might be because when you come home from work, maybe you're satisfied at work, but the eight hours you spend at home after work just aren't satisfying. So figure out exactly what it is that isn't satisfying in your life and then figure out exactly why you aren't fulfilling that need. If you're not asking for that promotion, like we talked about last week, figure out exactly why you're not asking. Are you afraid of being shut down? Are you afraid of taking on more responsibility? What exactly is it? And then attack it. So uh, to my question, is this where you thought you'd be at this point in your life? Let's say looking back like five years ago, is this where you thought you'd be or 10 years ago? And uh, that can go for in business. That can go for personally, whatever you want to answer this question. It's, it's open for you. I think, so what, five years ago, we were freshmen in college. Five years ago, going into college, I wanted to go into physical therapy. And then I took chemistry. Did you think you would be in physical therapy? Or did I you just, or did you just want to do it? I thought so. I mean, yeah, because I think I wanted to help people. I wanted to be in an active kind of role. With that, I kind of didn't think what goes exactly with that with classes I had to take. And if you listen to probably one of the first few episodes, I obviously failed uh, chemistry. And I kind of just was like, holy crap, if that's what it's going to be like, then I'm out. So yeah, I thought I'd be working for like the Timberwolves or something and uh, being their physical therapy guy. And then yeah, chemistry freshman year just shut me down. So this is not, yeah, this is not where I thought I would be. I did not think I'd be in logistics, but here I am and I am kind of finding out what I like within the company and learning more about myself kind of as I go on and get into new things. Brandon, I'm still curious, like, so you're not where you thought you'd be other than chemistry class. Why? And like, <laughs> are you like, do you have any, do you wish you were somewhere else? Like, what's your, you're not where you thought you were going to be. So your projection is, are you happy with like, what? I think, yeah, I think more I'm, insight onto that. I think I'm happy with it just because, I mean, I've seen just how the people that kind of went through it and everything they had to go through. And I think. You wouldn't have liked that? I don't think I would have liked it. I mean, not just because of all the work I put in or that you would have had to put in, but I think just after the fact of not getting, obviously, you have to work very, very hard to get up to the Timberwolves. And I think I could have done that, but I think just knowing who I am. I you probably... only wanted to do it for the Timberwolves? Like you don't want to do PT no, think... in general? 
I think just in general, but I think that would have kind of been like the cool I made it into professional sports. I think, yeah, just knowing myself, I would have probably been like, nah, this isn't worth it. I know people that went through the whole thing of physical therapy and they got to their first job and they're like, yeah, I'm out. Like, this isn't good. And it was kind of just wasting four years of their life. And I was like, wow, if that's kind of where I would have been, like college would have been a huge waste, all those classes you took and not learning anything else and expanding on that. I think it was nice to try different things and actually see what I liked in college. I'm not where I thought I'd be five years ago. Uh, five years ago, yeah, what was it? Yeah, was it freshman year? So yeah. freshman, about freshman year? I don't know what grade you consider yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. I think sophomore year. Wait, it's I still would have been in a certain grade. Yeah, the grade doesn't. Yeah, that's yeah, that was just. <laughs> I'm definitely not where I thought I was going to be. Um, in high school and college, I always thought I was going to medical school, so I thought I'd be in my whatever second, third year of medical school right now. I'm far from that. Ended up going the grad school route and then taking a, a business, more business esque role, consulting role. I think it changed just based on opportunities that came up and stuff that I was passionate about at the time. So my last couple of years at St. John's, I got to work with the Mayo Clinic and work on some of like the business side of medicine. And I kind of fell in love with that, like innovation and bringing things to market. And that ultimately got me to grad school at Notre Dame. And one thing led to another, got, got to work with another uh, medical research company that year, uh, the Feinstein Institute for Medical Research. And that kind of led me to where I am now working on emerging technologies. So I think the reason that I'm not where I was was because I found more passion doing, I, I kind of followed what I was passionate about each time. So freshman, sophomore year, I was dead set on med school. Junior year, I got to do some work on like the business side of medicine. Senior year, I got to fully engross myself in that. And I knew that it wasn't that I wasn't passionate about medical school at that time. It was that I knew I'd have second thoughts or what ifs if I didn't go try the kind of the business innovation side of medicine. So that brought me to med, or not to med school, to grad school. And then when I was there, I, I really loved what I was doing and who I was working with and what my role was. Ultimately, that brought me to where I am now. So it's not where I thought I was going to be, but it is, I think it's like exactly where I, where I should have ended up. And I like looking back, I don't have um, any second thoughts on, on where I am right now. Cause I've learned so much on my journey. And I think if I was in, in med school right now, I would just have a bunch of what ifs if I would have went and tried different things. And I got to try so much in the last two to three years. So I've been really fortunate and lucky to have that. What about you, Bob? Where did you think you were going to be five years ago? I don't think I'm necessarily exactly where I thought I would be. Thought I'd be kind of further. And what I mean is, I definitely thought that I'd be an entrepreneur. I definitely thought I'd be running businesses, but I definitely did not think the current startup that we're working on would take two and a half years to launch. I didn't actually think I would be okay with it. If you would have asked me five years ago if I was okay waiting two and a half years to launch something, I would have been like, nah, that Bobby Mason would be dumb to wait that long. Because five years ago, I didn't have patience, period. And... Now, I guess I'm more willing to sit and wait and play it out for the long run. I don't care about the short-term gains. And I think it's a positive and a negative. Five years ago, I would have said, no, I cannot keep waiting around. I need to launch something right now. And it doesn't matter if I go broke over it. And so professionally, I wish that I had a lot more clients. I wish that I was interacting with a lot more people. And I wish I didn't have to sit on a computer sometimes 20 hours a day. And I know I just preached on blah, 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 blah. You need to be happy. Every day you need to be happy. 
it still ultimately makes me happy. And I love the journey a whole lot more. So I guess even though I'm not where I thought I would be, I'm enjoying life significantly more now than how I believe I believed it should have been. All right, guys. Well, that was episode 14. Hope you enjoyed that and got something out of it. Next week, maybe you guys will have some questions for us that we can answer. We'll put something out on Instagram and Twitter and all the other social media feeds. So let us know what you guys want us to talk about, and we will do our best to answer for you. And have a good rest of your week. Bye.